Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It has been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games out there. It can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And that is sort of the purpose of this podcast. It's to dig into the games that my guests and I enjoy playing. Uh, it's to talk about big industry events and to talk to the people that create the games that we love. And of course, those games are tabletop gaming. Now, I've done a lot of interviews recently um, with folks who are game creators or game company owners, one of whom, of course, was Ronnie Renton from Mantic Games. And today we are going to take a deeper dive into one of Mantic's main games, that being Kings of War. Now, in order to dig into Kings of War, it's important to have great guests. And I think I have two absolutely fantastic ones today. One, of course, is either the man behind or one of the main uh, characters on some of my favorite gaming podcasts. He has been a red joker in the past. And right now at the moment, he is one of the three talking heads on, I think, my favorite Kings of War podcast, hands down, direct misfire. Of course, I'm not talking about Benzum. I'm not talking about Selick. I'm talking about Hugh. Welcome to Cast Dice. Thanks, Brad. Great to be here, man. Looking forward to a good old Kings of War chat. Man, it's great to talk to you. I mean, normally when I see you, we're literally hanging out in person, enjoying a tasty beverage. It is, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's great to actually uh, break bread over a microphone, so to speak. Indeed. I think we haven't caught up in person since Dave Wars Farewell, True which was that. quite a while ago now, but obviously COVID brings this upon us all. <laughs> exactly. And this is the only way we can catch up via... Skype. Um, but of course, we do have more than one very talented guest tonight. We have the man, the myth, the legend. We are talking about Chuck Norris's beard attached to Optimus Prime, riding Grimlock in on this. When, I, when you have an introduction like that, a man who's probably painted two armies while I was talking to Hugh, <laughs> I gotta be talking about Patchimus Prime. Patch, welcome back to Cast Ice. Hello, Brad. God, I love the, the subtle. It's just like it's never let the emotion show when I'm doing an embarrassing introduction. How you doing, brother? Really good, thanks. Really good. Happy to be here. Man, it has been a hot minute since you've been on Cast Ice, but uh, the the airwaves called out and they said, "Patch, come back." And you have you have you've heard and you have come. Uh, and tonight we are going to talk about one of your favorite games. Now, in the past, we've talked lots about bolt action. We've talked about even 40K and we've talked a little bit about King's War. But you are uh, a, a passionate lover of King's of War as a rank and flank tabletop game. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd go to say it's also my only event game. Oh, wow. That is a big call, given all the events that you've played in for quite a while. But um, I also know the Hughes event player. But let's let's dig in to that maybe a little bit later. First, let's talk about what Kings of War is. Now, Kings of War is a rank and flank tabletop miniature game by the company Mantic. Um, now, rank and flank is a is a genre of tabletop games. Uh, Hugh, do you want to take a stab at what rank and flank as a genre it looks like on the tabletop? 
How is it different yeah. from a lot of traditional, you know, moving individual model tabletop games? I suppose the biggest one is that you've got units of models that are typically square based and they're yeah. usually on a depending on which version of the game you play, Kings of War kind of allows you to do both, but they might be on a movement tray, like a heap of models all sort of ranked up, as it were, mm -hmm. or they might be a multi-based miniature that represents like a large unit of miniatures. So you might only move a similar number of total square objects around as you would in a skirmish game or whatever, but you're representing a much larger army and you might have a lot of figures on those, those relatively few footprints. Exactly. And it's one of those things where rank and flank games, and when we talk ranks, it's because your units are ranked up into rows. Um, so you have that, as you say, that square or rectangular footprint where you might have 20, 25 guys standing and you're only moving that base of guys. You're moving the whole unit as a whole. You don't have to move mm -hmm. each unit individually. And that was one of the things I loved when I jumped over to other fantasy games when I first discovered the genre way back when, is you don't have to move 100 guys in a turn. You move Indeed. maybe five units, right? And the other thing about Kings of War, of course, as a ranks and flanks game, it is a fantasy ranks and flanks game, of course. So you get your, you know, your dragons, your orcs and goblins, elves, all that mm -hmm. jazz, all those fantasy tropes and everything that comes with it, wizards and whatever else. But uh, as far as ranks and flanks games that are currently supported, uh, not a dead rule set or what have you, this is really the only one on the market right now that you can jump into because, of course, Warhammer's not ranks and flanks anymore. Right. So this is sort of where the buck stops for fantasy rank and flank games if you don't want to do historical and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, Oathmark is new, and Oathmark is, is, is an interesting game, uh, and I, I like it a lot. But, I mean, mm -hmm. Kings of War is sort of, it's on its third edition. It's sort of the gold standard for a game that has streamlined mechanics for uh, for easy pick up and play, but has the tactical depth to really make for an interesting game. Um, mm -hmm. Patch, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and just to add to it, the the traditional rank and flanks, it, it it's all about the units, as Hugh said. It's all about you know those old you know the old movies. But but for me, growing up watching um, like the Games Workshop Fantasy uh, Battles game, it's yeah. it's it, it's that. It's just that epic army on the field that's been gloriously painted with flags and horses and cavalry and monsters and dragons and all those things. Exactly. It makes me think of the scene from Tooth Towers where you have all of the Urukai lined up in giant blocks of troops and they're just in giant squares and rectangle formations and they are just pointed at the walls and they are charging or marching and then eventually charging at said wall, but in formation in these giant uh, organized groups. And I guess the flanks come in because when you have that many people in, in, in uh, I guess, a, a formation like that and you're pointing forward, it can be quite formidable. But then where it comes in and where the nuance is, is that if you had a group of people like that and they're all pointing the same direction, if you hit their flanks, if you hit them in the side or you hit them in the rear, it can be really uh, tactically not very favorable for them. All uh, the scene yep. from the end of Two Towers when the horsemen charge into the side of all those orcs and it all goes exactly. horribly wrong, right? Exactly. That's it. And like most rank and flank army games, it's characterized really on the, the art of maneuver. 
So you're, you're all about manoeuvring, like you say, trying to outflank your opponent or trying to hit your hit their units with favorable matchups from your own units and stuff like that. So it's usually not as mission-based as something like 40K or even Star Wars Legion or what have you, right. where you're sort of trying to capture objective tokens and those kinds of things, even though they often factor into it. Uh, it's all about the maneuver and getting that army to sort of you know, perform as you'd imagine an army would. And anyone that's familiar with Warhammer, you're pretty like old school Warhammer that is back when it was more of a ranks and flanks kind of game. Mm -hmm. You're on the right track. Definitely. You still have your fantastical characters and things like that, but it's probably a little bit less character and magic item and, and that kind of thing focused and a little bit more about the army itself. So you have a few more models on the table than you did back in seventh or eighth edition for the Mm -hmm. most part of warhammer fantasy yeah um and you still have magic and heroes and things like that but it's a little bit more about uh focused on the army itself that's right now one of the exciting things about kings of war is now when i played other fantasy games as you took casualties uh you would remove models from those movement trays um so you would have uh let's say let's take my orc army for example from a, a fantasy game way back when um where i had you know, six square-based units that I was moving around the tabletop. And as I took casualties, you would measure that by taking guys off your base. And then eventually, you just run out of guys on the base and that unit disappears. The problem with that, with, with the thing that always sort of, while that looked visually very clear about how badly your army was going, um, it, it meant that between games, you have to put them all back. And um, sometimes if you have 100 200 models that can take a really long time uh and i actually talked about event fatigue between like if you played in a in a multiple event uh multiple game event you end up having to put hundreds of bottles back on bases and that was my least favorite thing about the genre however kings of war you don't do that it's great because um you actually keep track of your casualties in a different way um, Hugh, do you want to describe that, how that works just a little bit? And can you introduce the idea of multi-basing as, mm-hmm. a, uh, as an idea? And I know Patch wants to go a little bit hobby-heavy on, on that chat. But yeah, Hugh, take yeah, us away. No worries. So you have your unit of, let's say, 20 infantry is like mm-hmm. your basic-sized regiment. So you'd rank them up in sort of a rank of five by four mm-hmm. is typically how you might go in on your sort of typical infantry size base. Most people listening to this kind of podcast would understand what that is, I imagine. Yeah. So you get your little, um, your little square of infantry and uh, those guys can be all individually based, much as you did back in Warhammer days. Mm-hmm. And as Brad, as you said, you don't take them off individually. Instead, you have like a wound counter effectively, like a damage that increases over time as the unit gets more damaged. Yeah. And that all that does is increase the chance of the unit breaking and running away, which can represent them literally fleeing off the table or getting like run down and destroyed or whatever it might be. So as they get closer to their route value, the chances of you... Ro- damaging them and then rolling off that route greatly increase. So you can take your individual models still if you want, if you want to use your old armies and stuff like that, which is one of the things that Mantic and Kings of War do really beautifully, which is support other model ranges and mm-hmm. other armies that people have lying about, Just one of the great things about it. But you can also multi-base, which basically just means taking that same footprint that those 20 figures would have and then just making one, uh, one rectangular uh, square, if you like, and mm-hmm. then plopping all the models on it and often you can make that quite dynamic looking 
You can make it look a bit scenic. You can use less models as well to fill that space typically mm -hmm. and still make it look really good. You can put little bits of scenery on there, whatever it is, to represent that same size regiment, however you see fit. And let me tell you, my dude, once you once you go multi-base, you never go back, baby. <laughs> I've got a yes. I've got a uh, undead army from 19 Dickety Two with all metal <laughs> skeletons, like mm -hmm. big old metal spears that you can poke your eye out with, mm -hmm. and ranking those bad boys up time after time. As soon as I rebased them, and I've only rebased about half the army to this day, but as soon as I did that, I haven't even, I've just not touched the other army. They're easier to store. They're easier to move on the table. They don't break as easily. They look better. You need less per regiment. It's yeah. just, it's better in every way. I love it. Patch, I know you got feelings. Please express. Yeah, absolutely. Multi-basing for me is just such a large component of what Kings of War is. Um, I'm, as you had, I'm hobby heavy. So for me, um, the creation of the army is, is a lot of what I enjoy. And the playing is a secondary effect of that. However, um, for me, the multi-basing, as you said, you get that dynamic look. So I'm up to my, I don't know, fifth or sixth army. I've, I've built maybe more. Um, and each time it's just going that extra level as to how will I multi-base it? How will I make it look uh, just like an army? And, and the last one I have completed is, a, is an orc army. Uh, and this was using 100% Mantic miniatures. So mm -hmm. Mantic does, does have an increasing amount of, of miniatures available to fill out their range. And um, this orc army, I wanted it to make it look like it was coming down out of the, the mountains, coming down through the, the rocks and mm -hmm. debris and everything else. And, uh, yeah, so I was able to achieve that. So it, when you look at it, it, it actually looks quite three-dimensional. Sounds awesome. Um, yeah, it, it did come across pretty well, I think. And once you see the whole army laid out, um, that's when you start saying – like you said here, you'll never go away from multi-basing because it's just a pleasure to do and it looks so good. And it looks good, doesn't it? I mean, that, that same Undead Army, it looked incredibly dated because let's be honest, it was incredibly dated. <laughs> yeah, all, yeah. The, all these old brown skellies and whatever else. But now, because um, also I had a bunch of minis lying around that you know you don't necessarily have a role for in the Kings of War Army mm -hmm. or perhaps you just don't want them anymore or whatever. And then so you get these little dioramas, like I've got a, a unit, for example, which has a ring of skeleton spearmen standing around the outside while this sort of necromancery lady does this sort of witchy-poo ritual and all these, uh, you know, crazy ghosts and stuff are floating around her and they're like mm -hmm. guarding her and that's my regiment of skellies. And you can just do, the, you know, anything creatively. Your, uh, your imagination is the only thing holding you back. And you get better at it as well. You can sort of pin oh, your sure. tree in there and then use that tree to pick up the base physically, like when you move it around and stuff like that. Oh, so you learn these little tricks that just make it so much easier to maneuver them around. Yeah, that, that's one of the things I've been picking up on here lately is, is really putting those anchors in place. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you, you're reaching in, and particularly once you've got the spearmen and everything going everywhere, it becomes quite an OH&S issue. Um, <laughs> yeah. So having, having something with good leverage on it, like a tree, just to pick it up and move it becomes so much easier. But that sort of comes from experience. I didn't have that for the first couple of armies. Yeah, I wouldn't have either if it wasn't for support from my homies, really. Benson yeah. has looked after me there in a big way and uh, he'd multi-based enough stuff by the time I ventured into doing it that he was able to give me a lot of good tips. Yeah. yeah. It just looks magnificent, doesn't it, when you go to an event and you look around at all the armies that are presented and just the big broad range of people's um, experiments and, and mm -hmm. sheer imagination to, is, is beyond, I think, any other 
game that I've come across. Absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah. to, like by contrast, something like Star Wars Legion, which is a game I'm in love with at the moment, you go to an event of that and lots of beautiful armies and stuff. But, you know, you see there's four factions in that game. You see a heap of stormtroopers that look like white stormtroopers. Yep. You see a heap yep. of rebels that look like, you know, brownie, greeny rebel type characters. Mm-hmm. And droids look like droids and what have you. You know, um, there's only a so- certain amount of scope for imagination there. You can paint them however you like, but still you generally use the yeah. allotted models and what have yeah. you. Well, as Kings of War, you can use virtually any model to represent anything. And the culture of the crowd, at least in Australia, and I'm sure it's the case elsewhere in the world as well, is one of real creativity and not being like, oh, that's not the official model or anything like that. That just doesn't exist. It's <laughs> what, is, what is that? Does it look like the unit type it's meant to represent? Exactly. Yes, it does. Awesome. Go nuts beyond that and just make something, you know, really creative and unique. Well, I'm glad, mm. you, I'm glad you said that because um, like you, Hugh, and um, to a degree, Patch, although I think, Patch, you came from different game systems, Hugh and I both had uh, fantasy armies from other game systems from uh, way back when, from the, the lost times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to uh, Mantic has made Kings of War almost miniature agnostic. As you say, you can use almost anything and it's a great time to pull out those old armies and i have you know what six half finished fantasy armies and as (laughs) patch knows yeah well half finished and as patch knows i'm i'm looking at them uh not the unfinished piles uh the the half finished piles um patch knows that i keep every couple days i come back to them and say so what about this army what about this army? What about this <laughs> army? My six armies of models could be used for maybe 10, maybe 11 separate Kings of War army lists. And there's a huge number. Now, Hugh talked about some games only having a few. Uh, Kings of War is up to 26. Am I making that up? 26 army right. lists? Um, yeah, that's, a, that's about right. The, yeah. There's about an equal number in the core rulebook and... Uh, there's, uh, I believe, 14 in the core rulebook, mm-hmm. and there's another 12 or 13. I think it might be 27 now. Mm-hmm. I, I lose track in the uh, Uncharted Empires, which is a supplement which contains all the armies that they, well, for the most part anyway, they're armies that are other miniature um, companies produce rather than exactly. the ones that Mantic actually have miniatures for. Which is really inclusive. It means that Mantic's mm. thinking about, hey, you know, there are people who have these miniatures from other game systems, and we'd like them to be part of our community. Let's give them the tools. Let's give them the army list. Let's give them the units um, that they already have, and let's bring them in. Cool, you have mm. a wood elf army with a bunch of trees. Cool, come on in. You have uh, a bunch of lizardy fellows uh, and frog people. No problem. Come on down. You got some rat guys? Come in. We have a list for you. It's cool. And it, Come it on down. It might seem like an insane business model, but it kind of works to a degree because it helps grow that community with all those yeah. old yeah. veteran types. Mantic are well aware that most of their player base are ex-Warhammer players, and they're, they're fine with that. They embrace that and say, look, get amongst it, and then encourage your mates to play, grow the scene. And over time, of course, you'll end up buying some mantic miniatures and at the very least the mantic books and and you'll be playing the game and i I get the feeling very earnestly from mantic employees that i've spoken with and that kind of thing that they actually really just want people to play the game even if they end up not really making a buck out of it which is a beautiful thing and there's no reason why you can't collect the actual mantic miniatures either because they're very affordable 
they're getting mm. better and better with their sculpts, particularly exactly. some of their later stuff is beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and this, yeah, you can pick up an army much cheaper than you can from most alternatives. I think I think just to just to play on that, um, at the last CanCon that we went to, I was fortunate enough to pick up. Uh, I think it was best painted army, uh, and I had an entire old GW Bretonian and Empire force. Uh, and with a smirk, I think Ronnie Renton presented me with that award. Um, <laughs> however, I went away from there convinced that, you know, I wanted to build Mantic armies. And subsequent to that, yeah. I've bought um, two 100% Mantic armies, being Night Stalkers and the Orcs, and painted them up. And nice. interestingly so, when you start counting the dollars, the dollar ruse, the... Night Stalker Army, I think, complete as it stands there was around three hundred and fifty dollars. Which uh, is just that's like army. it's like one unit of Chaos Knights in Age of Sigmar these days, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Or yeah. or, like or your general yeah. in Age of Sigmar, literally. <laughs> I think, I think <laughs> so be, ridiculous. Yeah, I think you'd be looking at and when you when you look at it saying that three hundred fifty dollars that was from the company, brand new miniatures, um, not secondhand. And in comparison to, say, yeah, Age of Sigmar or some other ones, you're probably looking around a thousand or twelve hundred dollars to put an army on the field. At least. Um, and the miniatures are great; they're unique. Um, you know, there's there's always different things you can throw in there to add to it. But mm -hmm. in general, now, um, you know, I've got full, two full complete Mantic armies, and I probably won't go to an event now, like the next CanCon should should and when that occur, I'll go with Mantic armies just because I feel. You know they're, they're good, and um, I want to support the company as well. Yeah, and, and yeah, I want to quickly a draw a quick underline of something you said there, Patch. For some people, like for example, the the bolt action listener, bolt action listeners who might be listening to this, thinking, "Wow, three hundred bucks! Like that's that's a lot of money." Um, now again, we're talking Australian mm -hmm. dollars, so it tends to be a lot more of them than say U.S. dollars, uh, but. To put that as, as a place of comparison, if you think about bolt-action armies, you're usually rocking about 40 infantry models-ish, um, not to mention small teams. Uh, you have some tanks and a couple vehicles, and you, know, you, you probably spent maybe 150, 200 bucks. Uh, maybe more if you're, you're going kind of crazy with some of the things. Uh, however, again, we're talking maybe 60 infantry models and a couple of vehicles. What Patch is describing, $300 is literally what 150 200 yeah. infantry models monsters a freaking giant scary giant thing um some sort of weird psychic kraken um <laughs> weird nightmare yeah. everything it's got all the bells mm -hmm. all Am the I allowed to say hentai tentacle monster or, or... <laughs> yeah yeah yes oh, i've Definitely. said it now yeah, yeah. yeah. too late <laughs> i got two of them so why not <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so all the bells and whistles are there, and that's 300 bucks all up, whereas I, I dare you to do that with a lot of other miniature companies and come up with half an army. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. it, it is really, I mean, Mantic makes the game super affordable, and again, visually, their models are getting better and better. The quality of the casting's getting better. The sculpting's getting better. Not to say that it was bad to start with, but the criticism was a long time ago that it was basic. Now mm -hmm. it is getting far less basic. More, uh, You're getting a lot more detail, but you're getting 
that you're getting it at a, at a price that is almost unheard of in the miniature industry, which is really great to see um, for a game that you need to get a lot of models. Um, That's and, it. You, and it needs to be acknowledged that you don't get the quality of miniature quite that you would for something like Age of Sigmar. Like if you take, for example, the latest Northern Alliance models, right. which I really like, by the way, from Mantic. So good. Um, they're like snow kind of Vikingy characters, but they're sort of humans, a mixture of humans, elves, dwarves, giants, trolls, that kind of stuff. So it's a really cool kind of unique army. They, um, they have quite a few really nice sculpts, but often there'll be just one sculpt of that particular miniature or only mm. a few to choose from and relatively few multi-part kits in the in the tradition that you might expect of GW yeah, back right. in the day. But like you got to understand that this is a vastly smaller co company. This company. is a tiny little uh, conglomerate of people by comparison to something like GW. So you can't necessarily make that same comparison. And over time, they, they build it up more and more and more. And the, you know, the quality versus dollary dues is just uh, incomparable. It's one of the yeah, best absolutely. in the industry, uh, literally hands yeah. down. And I do a lot of looking at the industry. Uh, now, let's talk a little bit about that company. Now, Kings of War was uh, was a project that Ronnie Renton, the the owner and CEO of Mantic, wanted a, a rank and flank game. And so he hired uh, a little known game designer. Of course, that is sarcasm. Um, one of the best in the industry, Alessio Calvatore, to create a, a tabletop game that was easy to pick up but had the tactical depth and that, that replayability and really allowed you to sort of dig your teeth in. And what you got was Kings of War First Edition. And, uh, you know, a lot of people look back at first and say, well, you know, it was, it was a good start. Um, but what's really interesting and what Mantic has done that sort of revolutionized the industry before other game companies uh, brought in, uh, you know, tried to reach out to their communities uh, meaningfully, Mantic was one of the first to do it. And they uh, installed something called the Rules Committee, where they got passionate people from the community uh, who they trusted to make good decisions on behalf of their, you know, product to uh, update the rules. And so after Alessio came up with the, the, the bones of the game, the rules committee has been slowly adding to it, has been slowly uh, adapting it, adding both uh, the fluff to the game, uh, adding and adapting point values to level things, uh, tweaking rules to make it as fair as possible. And unlike a lot of games where you have how should I say, um, Codex Creep, where every new army book is more powerful than the last one uh, and as a, as a means to drive sales for the company, so you're always having to buy new things. Um, Mantic goes out of their way, and their rule committee um, goes out of their way. As, as Hugh said earlier, you get the Kings of War rulebook. It has 14 army lists in it, complete. And then you have another book, Uncharted Territories, which is, um, wait, is it Uncharted Territories or Empires? Empires. Uncharted Empires, yeah. Sorry, thank you. Um, Empires, which is um, army lists for armies they don't make the miniatures for, although they are slowly chipping away at those, and some of those are now made by Mantic. By having all of those lists in those basic books, 
you get no coda creep really because it's all you get them all essentially at the same time the yeah. lists are relatively balanced which if you're looking for a fun fair game you're less likely to get nuked off the tabletop by the newest army because all the army lists exist at a quote-unquote similar power level now of mm. course we're going to get into the updates in a second but really giving the the rules to the community to balance and then working with the community to put them out really put Mantic ahead of the, the curve and has made the rule set really special. Hugh, I know you guys talk a lot about this on your podcast. Um, mm -hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about what I'm laying down? Do you agree? Yeah, the relative balance of Kings of War is actually one of my favorite things about it. And it's what sort of... Drew, it's one of the things that drew me to the game in the first place, probably of coming, feeling a bit jaded coming out the end of Warhammer 8th edition, as mm -hmm. many, um, you know, older school, well, not even that old school, Kings of War players will tell you a similar story, whereby just, you know, there's some horrifically unbalanced stuff out there in other games that just leaves you feeling like it's hard to have a fun game. And uh, the yeah. balance of Kings of War is quite incredible when you consider there's like 27 different factions. Mm -hmm. Part of that is a lot of, you know, similar units in different factions and things like that. And a lot of the factions you could you could argue sort of they do a bit of everything, but they still have a distinct flavor individually, I think. And they achieve that really well and they've gotten better at it over time as well. But yeah, this this whole rules committee idea, which is almost non-existent elsewhere in the industry and other right. industries like it. The closest comparison I can think of would be probably the rules committee for the commander um, game, which is a variant of magic. So magic oh, the yeah. gathering have mm -hmm. their own, you know, they all are run by wizards of the coast that do all their rules, mm -hmm. but the commander rules committee specifically govern commander itself. And these guys are just a community group and they have, you know, in, an accomplishment you know an accomplishment that they've come up with with a whole heap of other people involved and so on but they've grown they've slowly grown that format to be the biggest in all of magic which is an interesting little story and i think that that uh, it's just proof that this kind of a structure can work really well to get you a game that is it may not be perfectly balanced but at least it's it's fun and as i'm finding as i move more and more away bizarrely from being a competitive gamer Balance is really important for competitive tournaments and stuff, of course. But even as I move more away from that, I've come to realize over many years of wargaming, the balance is really important to me in a non-competitive game too because it's so much more fun when it feels like both sides have a fairly even stake in the whole affair and there's a yeah. back and forth and like it's a close game and stuff like that. And for, for some other games, you need to have a half an hour conversation of, before the game about exactly what you're taking and everything. And it can be genuinely difficult to have a reasonably balanced game where you're not turning up to the chessboard and your opponent's got all rooks or some mm -hmm. nonsense, you know? Yeah. I think, I think just to add to that, for me, this is the game, the, the one game I've played where being a, a good general is so much more important than what toys you've bring or you've brought mm -hmm. to the table. Yeah. You know, you've got a relatively even playing field with whatever armor you take. Um, you know, be there different strengths and weaknesses. When you get there, it's really going to come down to who is the better player at the time, as opposed to who's got the better toys. 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like to a degree, you need to take some sort of cohesiveness in your army. Of course, like all of one unit or whatever is not usually very effective. You want a bit of this and a bit of that, which is a good thing, of course, because you want it to feel more like an army that has its mm -hmm. leaders that keep its troops going and it has its wizards to help support it and its infantry blocks to claim objectives and cavalry to take the flanks and all those kinds of things, which it does have. But if just look at the play styles of some of the top players in Australia um, and around the world as well, and you can see that they take completely different styles of armies. It's not like there's this sort of mm -hmm. one set, you know, meta list for every faction or anything like that it's just not the case with kings of war there's a broad you know different number of things that you can do and make it effective based on your play style and your way of generally as yeah, if generally. that's not enough wait there's more um the rules committee also uh helps mantic to put out a yearly supplement um, it's Clash of Kings, and in it, they address, they, they either add new units to the game, which they do, they add new units or new magic items to the game every year. They also add in, we'll get to magic items in just a minute, boys and girls, um, but they also <laughs> add, uh, and well, not add, but they tweak point values and rules that uh, are applied to particular units. Um, so if a particular unit, uh, for example, since we are in uh, Kings of War 3rd Edition, and 3rd Edition did come out uh, about, what, a year ago? Almost a year ago now. I'm doing the math in my head-ish. Um, uh, quite a few units have had their points either put up or put down or have had a slight tweak to their rules. Um, not that it's going to drastically change your army, but to make things, as, as we were talking about, a little more balanced. And every year they do that. They balance things a little bit. And that doesn't even get into mm. the narrative campaign that they put out every year, which is something else. This year, what they happened, the two of them happened to be combined in a book called Halpy's Rift, um, which uh, is literally coming out about the time this podcast goes to air. Very excited yeah. about that. But Hugh, you guys recently did an entire podcast about the balance, like sort of which armies um, are, quote unquote, you know, maybe m more, what, uh, powerful on the tabletop? Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to Clash of Kings. But in that, I got several messages. The most important was we're basically splitting hairs because these are very similar. You can take a quote-unquote not meta list and still do very well, as Patch yep. said, because generalship matters. Also, like you, and much, you can absolutely pant someone who's got the quote-unquote meta list because that really doesn't exist in this game as much. And as far as Clash of Kings coming out, the meta, all of those things shift and balance even more because the rules committee listens to the community, looks at events, talks to players, hears what people are saying, and goes out of their way to try and smooth out any roughness that is discovered. Would you agree? Yeah, I would. Like, uh, Mantic are very smart to sort of say, they don't entirely outsource it. They do have game designers on staff as well that do right. some of the work. It's not all the rules committee guys who are mainly responsible for tweaking and recommendations and stuff. But by by outsourcing a lot of that sort of, um, you know, that nitpicking almost, the little, <laughs> the mm -hmm. little nonsense around the edge, they can keep the whole player base happy for very little cost. So it's genius really. But these right. Clash of Kings updates that you're talking about that come out annually, they're not a must-have. You can absolutely buy 
the main rule book and just play with that and mm -hmm. you'd have no issues at all. But I really enjoy them because they not only tweak points, as you said, or, or a couple of units, and usually it's not many at all, like one per faction at the most, but they also add new stuff to just make things a bit more flavorful and fun. Like the most recent one that's just coming out sort of as we speak has a, about a dozen or so new special characters, for example, um, for a dozen or so factions, however many, I don't remember the precise number, yeah. but you get a new special character for your army that you can try out that, that the, that rules testers have been play testing, you know, for ages to make sure that they get it as nice as possible and then add it into the book, you know, pre-tweaked. Um, and rules testers from around the world do that. Um, we have many here in Australia as well that, that add all their playtesting data to the whole, uh, to the whole machine. Mm -hmm. Nice. And I'm not even going to get into the discussion of the, the spreadsheet that all of that's recorded on. I've heard several podcasts about it. It's very fascinating. Um, <laughs> Patch, how about you? Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I think, well, for me, it just adds that little bit of extra spice to you know, your list. So it's something for me to look forward to each year where I, oh, I'm really interested to see what's, what might be new for my armies. And, and mm -hmm. I know that it's not going to be a wholesale change. Like my army is not going to be invalidated um, when this comes out. There's going to be a few minor tweaks, but mostly it's going to be, oh, yeah, I can get a new character or there might be a magic item that I could add that could be really interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've got to put this in the context that I'm clearly not a, a top table player either. Like, <laughs> I'm just not. Um, I, I enjoy it um, playing in a more casual basis. And when I go to events, I know that I'm not going to be fighting out in the top couple of tables. Um, so I don't take it super duper seriously. But I, I do enjoy adding little bits and pieces to my armies. And that's what I get out of those yearly supplements. Now, Hugh mentioned something earlier about um, one of the great things about having balanced balanced armies and having a clean rule set is that, you know, you aren't likely to have super skewy games and you can actually sit down and enjoy a narrative, fun, cinematic game with a mate and you don't mm -hmm. necessarily have to worry about the quote-unquote competitive events if you don't want to. But having a nice, a nicely laid out rule set with balanced armies really helps the, the, the narrative gameplay and just leads to fun games. Would you mm. agree with that, Patch? Because I know that this is something that we've talked about about other game systems ad nauseum. Yeah, absolutely. There's very few games I've had with Kings of War where I've not enjoyed it. You can always come up with, with a story for your, for your game. There's good, there's evil, there's neutral. Um, the narrative side of it is, is you can always do it. I mean, whether it's my Kingdoms of Men army, which is, you know, you could always, and it's, it's fighting another Kingdoms of Men army. It's a classic, uh, a classic old battle between knights or whatever. There's a lot of narrative aspects to the game, um, and, and that's, again, what makes it fun for me because I am quite a narrative player. Yeah, so there are some really awesome narrative games you can play. That's right, Patch, as you say. like There's there's some cool narrative things, and they are expanding that universe quite a bit. But um, for me, actually, to be honest, it's not a big part of the game for me, although I can understand why other people get into it. What I like for new players, um, more so than the narrative, is just how simple the rule set is. So you can pick up that rule book, and it's one of those games that it's a bit of a tired old trope, but it's that sort of easy to learn, hard to master kind of thing. Hey, that trope you... is the middle name of this podcast, buddy. <laughs> well, that's great because, you know, it is it is one of those ones that you can just pick up and there are, the rule book is thick, but the vast majority of it is 
fluff stories mm-hmm. and then toward the back of it army lists and stuff the actual rules section is when you consider the complexities of a ranks and flanks game quite skinny and alessio did a really good job of setting down this really basic foundation that mm-hmm. um has more or less stuck with it all the way through to third edition and then just the most of what's changed is sort of nuance rules around maneuvering in odd situations and things like that and so when you have this sort of quite basic rule set where most of the complexity comes from your combination of units and fun things that you can sort of add to the table it i find for new players even new players that aren't familiar with other war games they they tend to pick it up in only one or two games at the most before they've really got those basic moving and combat and what do you roll and what happens kind of rules down. They may not have, but then the, the, the nuance of like how you then use that to become a really good player is takes a really long time. So again, it's a tired comparison, but when you look at like chess, which is a game of maneuvering, it doesn't take you, even though there's like a quite a few rules when you think about all the tiny little rules that no one knows and mm-hmm. <laughs> all those little rules about what the different pieces can do. Ultimately, you know, it, by the end of one game of chess, you know what all the pieces do. And by your second game, you know, you're good to go as far as the rules are concerned. But then obviously you're far from a master hundreds of games later, you're still, you know, improving your craft, except it's less boring than chess. <laughs> yes, much less boring. And that's, it's a good point too, because Brian and I, uh, a good friend of ours, we have an annual game of Kings and War each Christmas time. And, Brian might not get a game in for an entire year, but one turn into the game and he's got the rules back and he's playing like he hasn't stopped playing. Yeah. It's that it's that type of system where you don't have to study it. It's all good. You don't have to play for a, a long time, but very, very quickly you're back into playing Kings of War without having to scour rule books endlessly. Which is good for me because I basically only play events. So I, yeah, I, rarely, I rarely play in between them. So when, when one comes up, I often haven't played for months and I'm like super rusty for the first game. And I hope to pick up someone, you know, who I can just, who I can just you know, baby seal club, someone like Patch for round one, you know. Yeah, exactly. That's why, that's why you grudge me, you know. That's why I keep getting these grudges every event. I'm just like, it's not because they like me. It's because they want to club a baby seal. <laughs> they want to see your beautiful army, I guess. That's that yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things that I've really noticed and enjoyed as as a new player going into Kings of War is when looking at the army lists, um, you get a very clear understanding of how many models you're supposed to put on a multi-base, what base size they use, um, what the mm-hmm. strength, what the defense of each unit is. And then at the bottom, there are some special rules and some keywords, and those really kind of are, I think, some of the important aspects of how the game is laid out that makes it able to be have, have so few ba- rules in the, in the basic rule set. Unlike a lot of games where you have um, multiple army lists and each army list has um, a bunch of units in it and each unit has a bunch of special rules, each that has its own name and does its own thing, what Kings of War does is it, it, it falls back on something that was tried and true in several war game sets and actually sort of took it to the next level, which was just have one fixed set of special rules that all the armies draw from. So Vicious is the same in all the armies. Um, 
I'm trying to think of some of the names right now. Um, brutal, brutal, phalanx, phalanx, crushing strength. Those so are so all the same in every army. So when you look at an army list, it's a little bit like bolt action in that you get um, basic units and then there are special units that are sort of special rules that are universal that give those units flavor. And in doing so, it makes jumping from army to army as far as looking at army lists a lot easier than if each army had its own book with its own units with each having its own set of rules. Um, And then adding to that, the way magic items work in this game, you can add items to units, you can add items to characters, and they usually, uh, for the most part, add keywords to units. So you are adding some of the, the, the special rules that are universal to units that may not have them, and it is a very sort of streamlined, easy way to to handle that. It leads to less, how should I say, hero hammer, where a few characters are destroying the entire opponent's army. And Mm. you also, it leads to far less cases of looking at your opponent's army and saying, I I don't know what that does. And needing, you know, a five minute, 10 minute, 15 minute college course on what that army does, just so you don't get raffle stomped the first time you run into one of their units. Hugh, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. I mean, there is a negative side to it as well in that armies can look and feel, particularly to the untrained eye, to be quite homogenous and similar to one another. And you can be like, oh, well, this is just the spear regiment. This is the cavalry unit, whatever. Or the armies sort of look the same. And I I get this sort of uh, negative feedback a little bit, particularly from Warhammer players and players that play other games that come into it, think like everything's very bland. But when you actually get it on the table and play with it a number of times, you realize that those subtle differences between the units and the the army-wide rules and a few other things they do, do really give you this distinct flavor in how units feel and how they play on the table. So it's quite quick to learn and quite quick to understand what your opponent's units do. There's less gotchas and bad feels like there are in heaps of other games. Um, But there is enough uh, of flavor there to actually make you feel like if you're playing ogres, you're playing, you know, a big, tough, stompy ogre army. And if you're playing a dragon, it feels like a big, scary dragon that breathes fire or whatever else. It, it It does manage to capture that flavor fairly well within units that even might be relatively simple and similar on paper. Nice. I'm glad to see that that nuance is there because I I don't necessarily have the experience playing the game, but I've been following the community for quite a while and just going Mm. off of community conversation and buying the books and listening to podcasts and hearing the discussions and having played a little bit, there does seem to be some very nice nuance. But um, of course, to hear someone who's been playing quite a lot and played in the Australian Masters and all of this, it's great to hear that 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 differentiation does exist. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's subtle at first, but you you learn to pick it up over time and you understand the strengths and weaknesses of the different armies and things like that. But then ultimately on the tabletop, you know, your your fighty, you know, elite infantry unit might be quite similar to their fighty elite infantry unit. And your cheap chaffy spear unit might be quite similar to their cheap chaffy spear unit. But there's enough there's enough difference there to make you feel like you've got that flavor, as I said. But then there's also enough similarity there that it ultimately ends up being 
who's able to maneuver those units better, they're going to be the victor. It's not going to be because you pulled some special rule out the wazoo that your opponent wasn't expecting, and then they're, you know, they're squillion point unit is immobilized or something you know like right. that that's not really going to happen in king's war patch would you agree with that yeah yeah absolutely i just one one thing about you did touch on though because i'm sitting here looking at my armies and looking at all my little characters and and you, you spoke earlier about the characters in kings of war not being similar to you know those the old fantasy ones where a single character can wipe out everyone Mm. I'm just looking at you know the, the the characters the heroes play a much more supporting role in Kings of War as you would expect you know in a in a larger army, and it does make for those funny moments though where you you Leroy Jenkins a, a character <laughs> off to try and hold up a, a, yeah. a regiment of of you know charging cavalry and you're just like okay he's gone <laughs> he's not yeah. going to last yeah. more than a round his job is to is is to stall them not to kill them, um, so you've got to be very very careful with your your main characters and. Like so they they'll have special rules which will which will help the other units and and those rules can't help if they're dead. You mean Sir Speedbump? I think is his name. Yeah, S- yeah. Sir Speedbump. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've it. got but a few of those who've done that. There are some powerful characters. There are your big dragons and demon lords and what have you, but they're a bit less extreme than they tend to be in some other games. And for the vast majority of the time patch absolutely right like it's more about supporting your other units stopping them from running away um because you're many characters have inspiring it's very important gives you that all-important re-roll to stop your units running away so usually you need that for support and the magic tends to take a supporting role too there's a bit of bit of zapping and what have you with a bit of lightning bolt and fireballs and stuff like that but you're not casting purple sun and deleting whole units you're mm-hmm. chipping away a couple of wounds or you're buffing up your own guys or helping with their maneuverability or their strength or, yeah. or that kind of stuff and it's definitely not a must-have you know the magic you know it's a nice yeah. to have but yeah. I've, I've taken armies quite a lot which have no magic in it and i've not had you know not felt i've been completely overpowered on the tabletop it's really magic just does play that supporting role which might give you an edge um but it's it's probably not going to you know cause you to win or lose a battle Again, it's got to add to your game plan, right? It, it's not just you can't take like this particular spell or these particular magic items to you know win the game automatically. They are going to add to what you are planning to do tactically, but they're not going to make the game. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It doesn't become like the tactics of this game is hope to roll this spell and then hope to roll the dice to make the spell go off and then I win. Like that's not really the way it goes if you want that kind of game then um there's other games out there that kind of do that if you want a ranks and flanks army game that's about maneuver and uh you know winning with by crushing their infantry with your cavalry and their and that that kind of stuff then then that's more a kings of war feel yeah certainly the um that magic can add that little element which helps synergize all your units together and gives you that little edge as you become a more experienced player. You learn how to use it better. Well, another thing that adds to the narrative sort of feel for the game um, and really does make for interesting tactical challenges if you're looking for you know that on the tabletop 
is the fact that it for a rank and flank game, it's not just a lineup across the table from one another and punch each other in the face. Now, clearly, there's an aspect to that because it is a mass battle game. By definition, that's what it does. However, there are a number of scenarios in that that you play in this game and that you play as both part of competitive events, narrative events, or just with your mates that require you to to not just hone one particular army list to the ground where you're tweaking, 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 tweaking till the end of time to find the best kick your face in list because your list needs to go grab objectives. It needs to accomplish things as far as scenario wise that, that really forces you to, as he was talking about earlier, take an army that has elements that makes it more resemble, how should I say, oh, an army um, that has different parts that are able to accomplish different things. Um, Patch, I know that this is something that you love about King's War. Um, can you talk to us in a little bit more depth about what I'm talking about? Yeah, sure. So I guess you can probably hit on some of the scenarios um, are about taking objectives. And, you know, the, the scenarios can vary. There's a couple of different, well, there's a, quite a few different ones, but let's just say it's core. It's about taking uh, objectives in different formats across the table. What they've introduced into Kings of War is a thing called unit strength. Now, unit strength is a, a numerical value which goes against um, your units from, I think it's one to three and maybe a four as well on some of them. Um, and so what that means is when you've got multiple units stacked around a particular objective, both yours and your opponents, whoever has the largest uh, unit strength is the one who holds that objective. Right. What this means is that they, they give a, a value of, say, one to your largest monster on the table. It's just a single figure. It costs the most amount, but it's got a unit strength of one. What that means is that your most basic regiment of troops, of your, of your baseline troops, have probably got a unit strength of two or three. So if they're competing at an objective, your baseline units are always going to win. So what that means is that you've got to balance your army out between hard-hitting, big, punchy, in-your-face monsters and solid core uh, units that can hold objectives. So that's how you can get a balance. And you can have all the monsters in the world and lose a game because the opponent has greater unit strength than you. So you've really got to balance it out. And that also develops your tactics across the table on deployment as to where are you going to put most of your unit strength. Right. Um, yeah, so that's how I guess how the scenario play comes in. Start, you know, you have to start thinking about how you can outmaneuver your opponent to get the greater unit strength on the table, and that's where your big, big footprint units, who are really hard to maneuver around, um, come into their own. If you can get them near an objective, they're hard to move, hard to kill, and they can really just hold down that objective. And all the monsters in the world aren't going to beat them. However, you need to be careful because if you deploy those big, hard to maneuver units. And then you expose your flank, as we talked about at the very beginning of the episode. Absolutely. You can yep. be really opening yourself up for some trouble, right? Absolutely. And that's, again, where terrain comes into it. And, and this is where it starts to get a little bit more, you know, you have to have a bit more savvy about it is, you know, anchoring one of your sides to a bit of terrain. So that prevents that flank being done. And then having to have a supporting unit. Uh, come in and protect the flank of that big unit so that your opponents are always forced to attack the front end. Right. And of course, the front end is where the it's hardest you know, to hit. There's, there's certain special rules 
which you know can prevent the big units uh, or, or cause the opponents for those big units to make it harder to hit them. All those types of things come into it. Exactly right. And when I talked before about the comparison with the old old school Warhammer Fantasy, where you know. In, in, if that's what you've got in your mind's eye, you're not far off. But this is more focused on the army. I talked before about characters being a little bit more like supporting figures and less being the main event that right. are destroying units in their own right. But as Pat says, the other way they do that is by unit strengths and scenarios. So instead of it just being about killing one another straight up, it's there's usually a heap of objectives to capture. There's a few good ones that they have. Sometimes they're just wee markers. Sometimes it's capturing a particular section of the table. Uh, and sometimes my favorite ones, which are new to this edition, uh, markers where they have a secret value on the underside. Mm-hmm. And so you have a few different, you have a few zeros, a one, two, and a couple of ones, I believe it is. That's um, right. And then you you pop them out and your opponent doesn't know whether the objective is worth zero or one or two. And it gets revealed slowly over the course of the game. Uh, so you sort of force to spread your force out and get as many objectives as you can. But then you might realize, oh, no, this is this thing I thought was a valuable objective is actually just a pile of garbage. I need a hoost over the other side. And so you need to to be dynamic and maneuverable on the tabletop. But you also need to have enough baseline infantry and just meatheads on the board to be able to you know overwhelm those objectives with unit strength. And that tends to be the way that I play more than anything else. I'm a Ratkin player, if you think of mm-hmm. Skaven or like old school goblins and just hordes of dudes. Um, my usual response for, as you were saying before, Brad, if I expose my flank and get a big unit taken off by a nasty cavalry charge, uh, that's fine because I'll just put another unit there. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's how rats roll, man. Like yeah. rats die, replace them with more rats. And that tends to be, so they tend to be really strong in the objective game. And if it drags on too long, eventually you might kill all the rats and I might be in a bit of trouble. But uh, in right. the short term, you know, life is cheap and it's all about the, it's all about the G at the end of the day. It's all about the, it's all about putting the flag on the mountain or whatever it is. Exactly. Yep. Getting the cheese if, yeah. to carry the rat analogy. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about um, the actual narrative. We've been talking about, we've been tiptoeing around narrative the whole point and one of the, or all night, one of the, the big, I guess, criticisms that uh, were, was levied at uh, King's War when it first came out was that it was a it was a it was a great rule set. It was streamlined. It had all the things we've talked about. But what it didn't have was a universe. It was almost universe agnostic as well. Um, the one of the things that our good friend Dave of War um, said that really just killed him when he tried to play the game was that it was set in a place called Mantic. Uh, Mantica, which was <laughs> the company's name with an A at the end, and it drove him crazy. Well, that's changed with third edition, actually at the end of second edition, they've really gone in and tried to bulk out the world, and they've got some really talented authors um, writing stories, writing novels, writing books, adding to the to the rule books, adding that fluff. A friend of the show, Mark Barber, for example, is one of those authors. Fantastic stuff. I'm hoping to get him on a future show. Um, but the universe is now called Panathor. Um, Patch, do you want to talk to us a little bit about Panathor? Because we suddenly have... Um, you know, Of course, it's not as rich as some game systems that may be around for 20 or 30 years. But Panathor really has some depth, and they've really gone out of their way to add character, to add um, some really interesting levels to the story, and giving be, beyond giving just 
the the armies flavor like the individual characters in armies really do have personality too right yeah look i, I guess i could rather than go into sort of a a historical um you know around what the development right. of panathor and everything else i think i'll probably put it in because again i'll probably stuff it up um but there is a rich deep history there um that is consistently evolving for those people who really get into that. But I'll put it into more practical sense in that uh, two of the armies that I'm currently, you know, the two favorite armies I've got, both the Orc and the Human Army, the Kings of Men, I've been able to develop using the resources that were in the rule book, their own story based upon the world. Nice. So I've been able to put them in the world. And Makadak, who's my Orc chief, I can pinpoint on a map where he's come from. And therefore, what I can do is then turn around and go, well, he's campaigned through this area, this area, this area. This is where he's going. So he's going to be going across the League of Rordia, which is one of the one of the um, factions. He's going to be you know, going halflings. against the king. Yep. Yep, halflings, the, the kingdoms of men. He's going to be doing this. And I can talk about him in the context of where the army, him and the army fits within the world. Um, and so it's, a, it's not just a random dude made up in a universe where it kind of felt a little bit like that before they actually yeah. have a place in the world and in its current events um same with the kingdom of men i was able to look at the map i was able to draw it right i draw exactly where i feel like they would come from um what influences they would have and it kind of helped develop my army i mean i'm quite a i like the fluff and i like my armies to have a story behind them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where Kings of War now is at for those players like myself is that you can put them in that world using the references and using the history that they've developed. Um, and for those that, you know, aren't that interested in the law, that's cool as well. Like there's no issues with that, but it's now developed um, enough for us to uh, law people to, to go on. Exactly. And for you, I know that that actually plays itself out on the tabletop. It's not just that you can point at the map and say, this is my this is my general and this is where we're going. But yeah. you actually then um, custom tailor your army list a bit, but also the color schemes you paint your units, um, little talismans or flags that your your guys have. It, it all comes together into one package for you. And that really helps create the narrative when you're playing on the tabletop. It doesn't kick you out of the, uh, the what's the, oh. the old expression I'm trying to remember? You, it, like you're, it, the, it keeps you immersed, I guess is what I'm trying yeah, to yeah. say. Yeah, yeah, the immersion's still there. Like, uh, yeah. Um, for me, I like my games to make sense. I like my armies to make sense. Right. Um, quite often, this means that my armies are not incredible. Yeah, um, no wonder you don't play 40k competitively, then, mate. That, that's exactly right. I'll, I'll never <laughs> the last can factory world, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but even like I can, I can look through and, and for example, you know, the orcs uh, are your classic sort of orc fantasy uh, strength wins. You know, one orc tribe conquers the next orc tribe. And they can gradually, you know, once they've conquered enough orc tribes, they form a big army and they can go on a big rampage. Mm. So I've been able to have a look at my individual orc units and custom make them a little bit to make them different. So one of my orc units I've attached, uh, if you guys remember the old bearskin cloaks from some of the Empire figures, I think mm -hmm. they were. So I've, I've attached the, the, or whatever they are, wolf pelts to the to the. Uh, back over their shoulders so they've got a unique feel to them and I can sort of pinpoint 
the general area for that tribe where my war chief Makadak defeated them and then brought them into the army. I mean, this is like probably no one outside me really cares, <laughs> but, <laughs> but to me, I, I like it to make sense and I can do that now. That's always the way with your own, the law of your own army though, right? Like, um, like for, Every listener, it's important that you know that the Ratkin are actually the good guys that they used to be. <laughs> you know, they were they're called they're they're put under the evil section of the rule book, um, but that's just propaganda. They just used typo. to fake yeah, news. Yeah. Fake news. No, they, it's abyssal dwarfs bloody getting getting involved. They used to be uh, the slave <laughs> race of the abyssal dwarfs, and they they broke free. They broke the shackles of their oppressors. And they're out there to sort of, you know, spread good in the world and, um, well, rats in the world anyway, which and rats are good in the world of Mantica. So, you know, there's there's a lot of um, propaganda out there. Don't believe it all. Uh, rat king are, in fact, good guys. <laughs> but to, to in all seriousness, if you look at how the, the narrative has progressed, you pretty much nailed it, Brad, in that at first edition one of King's War, that wasn't their focus. Um, they were trying to create their own ranks and flanks game, and that was their focus. Second edition was broadly more about um, how can we create something that's called Warhammer the Old World, but replace Old World and Warhammer with Mantica. Um, yeah. And that that didn't that did have its critics, which I think is fair enough. But again, the the uh, narrative wasn't really their focus. And they really heard that, I think, with third edition and brought out a lot more narrative element. Like I said, most of the rule book is just pictures and stories and things like that. And and uh, it takes a long time to develop your own unique world. But mm -hmm. like the Ratkin are a good example because they're not like they, they are rat men, but they're not Skaven. They're, right. they're completely different narratively to how Skaven were in Warhammer and they play differently on the tabletop as well, apart from the fact that there's heaps of them. That's pretty much the main similarity. Right. Other than that, they're, yeah, they're narratively a very, a very different kind of race. And a lot of the other races like that as well are like they have their own brand of elves and their own brand of orcs and things like that. And of course, by and large, that follows your typical fantasy tropes. But there's still enough difference there, like any fantasy book you read, you know, like they've got their own sort of elements that make sense within their own, uh, within their own world. Like orcs are not Warhammer orcs. They're not like, they're not sort of soccer hooligan buffoons. They're kind of like a real <laughs> right. bad guy kind of, you know, tribal race uh, and, and things like that, for example, that, to draw distinctions between them and other games. Yeah, and it also opens up as well with the, the law side of it. Um, because of the, the good, evil, and then the neutral factions, you can really develop a, a very unique um, force, say for humans, for example, who are neutral. You can develop a really uh, unique force, which is also in line with the, um, the law, which is quite evil orientated humans as opposed to right. the more goodly you know how you, you'd normally see the humans on the field um so it, there's a lot of ability to yeah take the different factions mix them up a little bit and um create something really unique exactly well guys i think we've we kind of nailed the, the narrative a little bit but let's for folks who are new to this and want to find out more i mean clearly Getting the Kings of War rulebook is is a damn good place to start because not only are the rules very simply laid out, um, they're very cleverly written and, as we've said repeatedly, easy to pick up. Um, but you get a ton of different army lists right off the bat. Now, if you happen to own an existing army and you happen to think, oh, I really do need 
um, that particular army list. I know I did. Um, having owned a Ratman army, I wanted the Rat list. And at the time, Mantic didn't make them. Wise man. Wise man. Hey, <laughs> it's what I do. Um, thanks, Patch, by the way. Yeah. Uh, who yeah enjoy that. that army. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Thanks. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, Uncharted Ter- uh, Empires was the first thing I bought, actually, um, because I wanted that list. So I bought both the rules and Uncharted Empires at the same time. And unfortunately, that gave me 27 army lists to look at at the same time. And it got a little overwhelming. So for me, as as a beginner to this to this world, it 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 was it was <laughs> it was just a lot to look at. Um, so I went to engage with the community. Now, I have been following the Kings of War community since second edition. Um, Patch got me into it very early and our good friend Brian, uh, Brian Cook. And um, I started to read up and follow the community. And I was impressed with how welcoming the online presence of this game is. There are some game systems that you walk in the front door, you see the way the fans talk to one another on Facebook or on Instagram, and you tiptoe out back, you know, out the back door before anyone notices and start slinging poo at you, um, verbally, so <laughs> to speak. Uh, however, I am always impressed with how welcoming the Kings of War community is to new players, how what what level of fun banter that exists. Now, it's not 100% perfect. Nothing is. But it it is remarkable. And all of my questions have been answered really nicely by other people. Um, they've been super helpful. And um, unfortunately for me, trying to narrow down, because I have so many projects, it's actually been really hard because everyone's been really nice and helpful and, you know, including Hugh, who, who's given me some great ideas and Patch. And I guess what I'm saying is going to a Facebook community for Kings of War, and it seems to be largely on Facebook, going to Kings of War fanatics or going to particular army play, uh, pages um, or country pages, Kings of War Australia, for example, is one that I'm also a member of. It is just great to see, and it really opens up ideas to see the way people talk about their armies, the units they're painting, the models they're building, um, and just their general thoughts and ideas. It's it's great. Um, now, Patch, I know you are big on online presence. Uh, what are your thoughts about this? Because I know you have quite a few. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, I am big on the online presence i like sharing i like i like seeing other people's stuff as well um but i really honestly believe it's just a conduit to um real life as you know getting into those real games um and that's how i got into kings of war um i guess you know many people's stories are that they, their gaming group or their mates got them into kings of war whereas i was the first of us brad to to get into kings of war and you were i just reached out to the local community via I joined a Facebook page. I started chatting, started working out when the events were and just kind of turned up and failed miserably for the first couple of games, but absolutely <laughs> loved it. Mm-hmm. And that's how I started. I just got into it from there. And so I, I do use the Facebook pages as, um, you know, as a gateway to, to get games in. And now, you know, I honestly think I'm, I'm as good a part of that community as anyone else. And I really enjoy it. Yeah. So that's it's probably the, the step is to reach out via that uh, those groups. I think Facebook is probably um, the most populated one at the moment. I know there is a Reddit group as well mm-hmm. and probably a whole bunch of other random social media, which I 
don't know and can't spell. Um, <laughs> Discord, but, how do you spell that? Yeah. yeah, but that's probably the way to do it is through there. And, and lots of people will reach out because as a community, of course, we want new players to join. That's how games thrive and grow. Uh, Hugh, would you, are you, I know you are very vocal in certain ways and I'm going to get to that in a second podcast plug. Um, but do you interact with social media in general? Yeah. Um, as little as possible for the most part. Um, I'm not really a social media guy. I'm not really that into it in general. Not, um, not a Kings of War thing, just any kind of Facebook thing. Yeah. I like to avoid that, that as much as I can really. Um, that sort of selects repertoire when it comes to direct misfire and mm-hmm. Benson as well. But uh, that was one of my provisos when they wanted me on the cast. I'm like, all right, but I'm not doing anything Facebook. That's all right. Uh, so I guess I'm the opposite of Patch there. But um, what I can definitely earnestly say about Kings of War is that I got into the game because I wanted to scratch the ranks and flanks itch and I mm-hmm. wanted to play. I wanted a replacement for Warhammer because Age of Sigma certainly wasn't it. No. But, um but I stayed in the game because of the community. The community are just awesome. There's a lot of, you know, your old mate kind of gamers um, that are just, you know, wonderful blokes uh, and ladies to hang out with that are just yeah. very sort of relaxed. And some, the, there's a lot of players in Kings of War I've found that seem to be really good at balancing being a competitive, uh, like effective player that isn't a bad sport, you know. Yeah, and totally. Which you is can nice. get that you can get that sort of reputation in other games where like tournaments are these sort of cutthroat affairs and Kings of War is so the opposite of that. Tournaments are very relaxed in my experience. Um, And a lot of the community leaders um, help promote that. Um, People like Mike Crossman, Mm -hmm. for example, in Melbourne. um, And I'm sure, you know, there's, there's there's millions of other examples I could list off, but if I could focus on his tournaments for a second, he gives out um, a box to any new player that turns up and then, there's a box which is randomly drawn by whoever can roll the highest on two dice or something like that. And that's the prize support. You know, the tournament isn't about, you're not rewarded for coming first in the event. Sometimes you do other miscellaneous prizes like cool looking army or whatever else, but it's, it's about getting together for the day and having some games. And then you can chuck your points up on to see if you can get into the masters at the end of the year and that kind of jazz, if that's what you're into. But you can also just completely ignore that if you want and just, you know, yeah. turn up and play games. And there's a, there's a really nice mixture there between a game that is well-balanced and a very good competitive game, particularly for a game with 26 factions in it mm-hmm. um, or 27, whatever we're up to. But uh, at the same time, a community that is more about sort of being inclusive and being enjoyable and getting on the hobby side of things and doing all those other aspects of the hobby other than just trying to beat each other up on the table. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, Patch, did you want to add to that? Because I was going to jump to podcast. No, no, not at all. I think it's all being covered. Just play the game. Yeah. Come and- join us. Play the game. There you go. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about if you want to find out more. For me, um, when I'm finding out about a game, the first place, literally the first place I go is to listen to other people talk about it uh, on podcasts. It's my favorite thing. Go figure, says the guy with his own <laughs> podcast. Um, but I have to say that some of my favorite Kings of War shows, uh, and Kings of War has a wonderful pantheon of... Uh, podcasts to listen to. They're just, there's tons and they have great topics. Um, my particular favorites, uh, of course, I've mentioned uh, Direct Miscast. Uh, hi, Hugh. Um, where can people <laughs> find your show? Close enough. 
direct misfire. Wait, what you did I say? On, you said direct miscast. It's a, oh, Jesus. It's a, it misfire. Long day. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, direct misfire you can find on Facebook or, you know, any other podcast medium. If you found this one, you can find that one, I'm sure. Ugh. Yeah. Direct Misfire is Australian-based. It's wonderful. Um, I particularly enjoyed uh, the Army ranking, leveling conversation. It was really useful as a new player to sort of get a little hint about each uh, each Army uh, and to talk about some of the strengths and weaknesses, um, not from a, like, which is the best Army standpoint, but from a playstyle standpoint, I found that conversation very useful. Um, so again, that's a great episode. Um, we do all kinds of different topics, but also exactly. do army reviews as well. Occasionally yeah, exactly. they tend to take so long that they, we never managed to keep up with them all, <laughs> but, um, between us and what I'm sure you're about to mention, don't yes. want to steal your, 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 please your, go ahead. Uh, take it. There. But yeah, uh, between us and uh, counter charge, which are the other podcasts that do a lot of army reviews, mm -hmm. um, you should be able to find most of the armies a third edition version out there. There are still actually, uh, actually that's probably a lie. There's probably about half that haven't been done yet. But in any case, if you want a real deep dive on specific armies uh, across those two podcasts, you can find probably one that will suit you. Absolutely. And one more that I'm a particularly big fan of um, is one called Unplugged Radio. Um, they have a variety of topics, but they do cover a lot of Kings of War. Um, and they did a, um, a, a, a get together with Countercharge and they did two linked episodes, one on each show, where they actually went through every single army in the game. Um, between the two podcasts, and they spent maybe five minutes. Uh, I think it was seven minutes per army, um, and that took forever, of course. But then they broke it up over two separate episodes, one for each cast, and they actually gave the strengths and the weaknesses and um, what what play styles sort of suit those particular armies. And again, as a beginning player, that was a wonderful resource to start with. Yeah, Counter Charge is really your sort of flagship Kings of War podcast that have been around for a really long time. Yeah. They've they've been covering it pretty much from since the start and they spit out an awful lot of content. So if you want sort of um, heaps of regular content, they're a good one to go to for something that's um, a little bit more eclectic and eccentric. Uh, the Yeah, the um, the radio show is a good one because it's... Uh, they, those guys read more books than I think any 10 other podcasters, right? right? Their book reviews are awesome. Yeah. Uh, I do enjoy that about them. But uh, yeah, direct misfire is a lot less frequent, but we try to, we really concentrate on trying to put out very high quality content that is sort of, you know, heavily edited and um, has a fair bit of work gone into it. You literally took the next, the, yeah, high quality is what you guys do. And yeah, that is why when you guys put out an episode, it is one of the first I listen to when it hits the feed because I go, yep, that's good stuff. Yeah, well, I listen to every episode when it comes out. I love it. Oh, awesome. Glad you like right. it. Cool. Um, Patch, do you want to add any to the list or have we hit some of your faves? No, no. I think that's that's it. Like the the two main ones I always listen to, Hughes cast. Um I enjoy it, and I think Countercharge is is the the amount of content is just insane. It's, awesome. it's really hard to keep up with <laughs> with what they're doing. So I, they must drop you know two a week um, yeah. at times. It's just completely nuts. So I like the the direct misfire 
Just uh, the sedate once. Is it? Is it sort of every two months, Hugh? Is that about how oh, you drop them? Broadly, I guess. Yeah they're, yeah, they're very infrequent. We're trying to go to more like monthly, but every time we do, sort of life keeps getting in the way. The three of us are, <laughs> yeah. are very busy people that rarely have time to talk about Kings of War. But yeah. when we do, yeah, yeah. It, hopefully, it's a pretty good time when we do. Yeah. Right on. Well, guys, um, those are the casts that I, I listen to, and I have not actively played, but I've listened to all three of those casts. Well, Unplugged Radio, maybe in the last six months, but the other two I've listened to for years. Um, mm-hmm. And literally, and that's me not as a player. So take that as a this is high quality because I enjoy listening to it, even when I don't necessarily play the games. So there you go. Well, we might have to get some games in then, Brad. You're going to have to uh, play some Kings of War, man. Like, and if we can't get in because of COVID and everything else in person, then um, you can also play it on Universal Battle uh, or you can play it on uh, Tabletop Simulator, which I prefer because there's a bit more of an aesthetic element. I'm not, I'm not into it as much as the, the real tabletop and I, I have a feeling Patch is going to agree with me there because yeah. uh, UB looks a bit like pushing little squares of pizza box around or something. Like it's, uh, <laughs> it's not the same for me. It's not, yeah, it's not quite like real life. But hey, I mean, you know, beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> so right. if, you do, if you do want to sort of learn the game or, or just, um, you know, bash out a relatively quick one over the interwebs, that's an option as well. Let's do it, man, because I am dead keen to play. And we, uh, speaking of trying to get a fair game of something, the very first time, I think you were the first person I played Age of Sigmar with. Maybe it was Dave of War, but you were definitely the second person. Yeah, we Um, hated that game. (laughs) And it was like we could not figure out how to make it a fair game. And man, we tried. Um, But guys, I think we're running a little bit long. We're an hour and 20 minutes in. I think we've covered the nuts and bolts of what is Kings of War. I hope we've given you some ideas of what the game might be like and where you can go to find out more information about it. YouTube has a million YouTube videos, both the battle reports of uh, talking about tactics, people sharing their armies. I'm not even going to get into that because it is a bottomless pool, but you can find um, all the usual suspects on there, including you. I I did really enjoy that. Uh, You guys have been putting out your most recent content in both YouTube and in the old uh, podcast world, which I quite enjoy. Selleck's been putting a lot of work into those YouTube videos. They are really good. We're just just sort of dipping the toe in that space, but um, yeah, they're, they're good fun as well. They look good too. Quality. God, I wish I looked that good. Anyway, moving on. Um, But guys, I have to thank you so much for taking the time to talk about a game that you just know and love so much. Patch, as always, it is a goddamn pleasure to to share a microphone with you, brother. It has been fantastic. Thank you for joining us tonight. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Um, I didn't know you guys were sharing a microphone. Is that COVID? (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean. Um, Patch, is there anything else that you want to, any thoughts you want to leave us on with Kings of War? Are you happy with where we've left it? Absolutely happy with that. Brilliant. Brilliant. And Hugh, I'm finally, I am so happy that we finally actually got down and recorded a podcast at some point together. Um, But let's let's definitely play that game. Is there anything that you want to end on as far as King's War, or do you think we've done a good job of summing this up? I think we've summed it up pretty well, man. Just just get amongst it and have some games. Use any models you like or borrow an army. There's so many people out there that'd be happy to lend you one. If you go in with the right attitude, I think you'll have a really good fun time with this game. Amen to that, man. 
Couldn't have said it better myself. And I think that uh, ties in nicely with what our good buddy Casey always says. Ladies and gentlemen, when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than anything else, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Guys, stay safe out there. It's a little crazy right now. We hope that you are well and that your families and you, you are all safe. Good night. Thank you.